Battel for Kids is proud to present the EdSpark podcast with Dr. Karen Garza. Battel for Kids is a national not-for-profit organization with the mission of realizing the power and promise of 21st century learning for every student. And, and I think it is essence, you know, uh, people that might think the science of hope is soft, you know, this, hope, this is not at all. When, and I think this is the essence of it, goals, pathways, and agency. Can you imagine uh, applying that to anything, learning yep. in schools, yep. the workplace, um, yep. your community? Um, you know, there's so many ways you can see that, that it, it's like an aha moment as you describe kind of this, you know, the thing, the piece I've been kind of missing a little bit. Yeah. And you can also see it uh, on the other side when kids don't have the hope. So let's talk just for a moment about what happens when when people lose hope. Yeah. So um, and I think we're seeing a little of that in the communities in some cases that we interact with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, This, again, has been um, probably recent learning for me, I'd say. Um, This the global pandemic and just times of uncertainty, unrest, polarization, um, political culture wars, and just so much going on in the world. And I think all of us are scratching our heads saying, what is going on here? Um, mm-hmm. And then I stumbled across again, I just, I read and I, I try to stay up with it. And there are great researchers in the field. And um, 10 years ago, it was, it was hard to find a whole lot on the science of hope and particularly any connections to socioeconomics or, um, economic insecurities or, but that field is emerging and you see more now because of the, uh, today we know of um, these researchers, we used to refer to them as hope scientists and some of them still gladly carry that label, carry the torch for hope science, but others would refer Mm -hmm. to it as positive psychology, you know, the work of Martin Seligman and others in known as the father of positive psychology. They're really, those are parallel tracks today, thinking about the human brain and how we think about um, the future. But um, this work of what happens when we lose hope. So I've shared that um, hope is not an emotion. Hope itself is known in the research space as both a skill and a mindset. And it's that's good news for us in education because it's malleable. If it's a skill and it's a mindset, then we can grow it and we can cultivate it in ourselves and in others. If we couldn't, we wouldn't be having this conversation today, right? So um, that's what intrigues me is hope matters in our lives and um, we can do something about it. And so, but when we lose hope, um, researchers believe that is more of we can experience emotions. And um, when I stumbled across, I would say the great book of Hope Rising by um, Hellman, Chan Hellman and Casey Gwynn, um, a great recommended, recommended reading for educators, particularly um, interested in supporting those in trauma, um, particularly because they really shed a light on this, what happens when we lose hope. And one of the first emotions we feel is, um, and no surprise to anybody out there, didn't have to be an educator to know this, the first emotion we feel when we lose hope is um, anger. And I thought, oh, so when I heard that, I don't know, there was something about my own mind that it was, um, it was almost therapy for me. Like, that's what's going on. That's what's going on. There, there's people are really angry right now. And so if you, if you apply that to hope science and let's go back to what we talked about. So when we get, and it's not the cause of all anger, let's be really clear about that. It's not the cause of all human anger, 
but um, when we lose hope, we can experience anger and that can happen. Um, so when I take a step back and I'm sitting across the desk, if I'm an administrator and I'm sitting across the table or sitting across the room and on the receiving end of someone's anger, it helps me to know the science of hope, to start to think about this and be curious first about, is this person experiencing, is there a pathway that's blocked um, or is there an agency problem? And I think when you apply that to what we've all gone through, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of pathways that are blocked. I, you know, when there was something that I was expecting to happen, like my kid was going to have a normal school year. I thought my kid was going to have a graduation. I thought my star football player was going to have a normal football season. You know, those things matter to people. My, my, I was in the midst of planning a wedding, you know, and everything, this whole world. Well, and also the insecurity that that, that yes. whole uh, pandemic you know, job and, security, you know, yes. those kinds of things. And Karen, it. I think that's about the agency part, right? The insecurity mm -hmm. and the uncertainty of what's happening in the future, that moment, um, when we have a sense of, I'm not in control of this. Uh, life circumstances are controlling my life right now, right? Mm -hmm. In a way that none of us could have expected. So that really hits our agency pretty tough. And then when um, we're on the receiving end of anger, and people are perhaps saying things to us like, well, I'm not doing a very good job teaching my second grader right now, you know, or when you're, you're getting right. your head about that and that impacts mm -hmm. your agency. And so when you can really unpack that, I would just say this, the, the past three years that we have all been through, all of us, mm -hmm. is that losing hope and experiencing anger is not new, but a whole lot more people on, across the right. globe are experiencing it at once. And that's creating this kind of um, a lot of emotions. So I would just say this, that in that moment, we all need to take a step back and reframe this, not to what's wrong with you, but what's happened to you? You know, what's the loss we're experiencing? What's the setback? What's the disappointment? And just give a whole lot more grace in the moment that just lets me digest that a little bit more, take a deep breath, mm -hmm. because then that's I would I refer to that as falling down this hopeless staircase or this spiral, if you will. Probably a better term, the spiral staircase. Um, yeah. The next step <laughs> we fall to. Okay, so I'm pursuing. There's a goal I want, and I I can't get it because a pathway is blocked, or there's an agency dis. I don't feel empowered to take the path, or both, one or both. Um, the next step we fall to is despair. And you can so think from about anger, from anger, anger to despair, to despair and sadness. Now you think about that, think about the energy required to be angry, um, to heightened emotion, right? And that requires mm -hmm. energy. So if you think about pursuit, when we're angry, we still want that. We still want that goal. And this reminds a lot of people of even, um, when we lose someone we love, you know, of grief. The stages of grief and that psychology is all pretty closely related, right? There's something I want, I'm longing for, there's a change in my life and anger happens to us. And it's important just to undernote um, or underscore that sometimes that anger is, is um, important, you know, because that anger propels us to change our lives. So the anger itself is not the bad thing. It's how we spew it around and, and harm others, right? The anger can motivate us to change our life circumstances and that get us back up the staircase, if you will. So um, I would submit that anger and dissatisfaction with status quo has been a really important change agent 
um, in all of our lives in this country's history, right? So I don't want to be dismissive and say it's not important because some really important movements in this country have been created out of dissatisfaction with status quo and that emotion. Um, that second step we fall to, despair, we all know that that's a little of quietening down a little bit, right? It's a different level. Mm-hmm. So we, we draw more inward when we start to become despair. Anger can be about finding who's to blame for this. I'm losing something and whose fault is it? And so we're really angry and we're looking to blame. When we move to sadness and despair, we move more inward and we even start to blame ourselves a bit. You know, like, what did I do? How did my actions contribute to this? And so we're losing a little bit of that energy and emotion. But I would say when we fall to despair, we can take the anger emotion with us. That's why I say it's more of a spiral. It's a spiraling down. You can carry that. So now I've moved to despair, but I'm still in pursuit. And this is about time. This is about a lapse of time. So I'm still I still want the goal but I've exhausted my energies. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm in sadness and despair, but I still want the goal. I'm still expending a little energy there. It takes energy to be sad and in despair. Um, We can be angry and in despair at the same time and and a big old ball of fun to be around, right? When we're (laughs) both of those. And so uh, people always laugh when I say that because I think we're all kind of self-indicting at that moment. Like, oh, yeah, I think I've been there. Um, but it's, we all have. We all have. And it's just a moment of you can't help but go there in that personal reflection first. So those two first down that spiral. But the final spiral we fall to in, in hopelessness, I'd say when people hit rock bottom there, it's it's we fall to apathy. And apathy is when we stop devoting our energy, our mental energy, our physical energy in pursuit of any goal. And apathy is when, you know what, I don't care anymore. We, we are just indifferent about our lives. And you can refer to that as, you know, clinical depression. You can refer to that as low mood. Um, hope mm-hmm. is situational. And so you can be high hope at home and low hope in your work life or vice versa, right? You can be high hope in, um, um, you know, freshman English and high hope in Algebra 1 uh, because hope comes yeah, And we've us. seen that. We've yeah, seen that. The same student, we think, yeah. from one classroom to the other, are completely different yeah. people, it, it seems, right? Yeah. yeah. So I think it's important, you know, we're not all, I say that because we don't have to put pressure on ourselves that we're a bad human being if we're not high hope across every aspect of our life and every, you know, we're humans. Mm-hmm. And so we can experience the ebb and flow, the situations, and the science of it can help us unpack what's going on in ourselves and in others and help us that's the question I get. How do you help people get back up those stairs? Um, and so um, it's important to know, like when we get into the apathy phase, that um, to me, that's the scariest part. You know, if we think mm-hmm. it's scary to see the anger around us right now, if we think that's disturbing or concerning, to me, the, the scariest part is where the human condition is such that people just don't care. And that's where I'm saying, let's get in there um, because we're hearing across the country, educators, students, we're kind of, people are there um, of just not knowing the path forward. We're tired, we're exhausted. And so we got to help people see like, this is normal uh, human response to a global Mm -hmm. pandemic. Um, I would also submit that, um, I love this analogy. I think it's worth spending a little bit of time 
talking about uh, a lot of these researchers would say that when you think about goals, pathways, and agency, that goals, um, if you compare this to a metaphor of a car driving down the road, a destination, that um, engine in that car is the brain. And so the brain is the engine of hope. And we, we won't get into that detail today, but that's our automatic default response, the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex, really how it commands future thought. And we all know that open fear, kind of battle it out the human brain every day. We get to um, wrestle with that, our hopes and our fears. And that's the prefrontal cortex mm -hmm. and that amygdala. So that brain is the engine inside the car and the, the destination of where we're going, that's our goal. And of course, the road is our pathway. But here's the key point I want to make. The fuel in the tank is the agency. And mm -hmm. the important part of that metaphor is that it builds an awareness for us that agency, when we push the pedal to the metal really hard, we can run out of gas pretty quickly. And I want to believe, you know, Jamie Mead, former educator, loved this profession and the heart and soul of educators across the country, that a lot of educators, the tank is empty. And mm -hmm. so we're not hopeless. We still know our why. We still know why we're educators, but we need to refuel. And so I think it's in my mind, that's the question right now. How do we refuel this profession? How do we help them, you know, prop themselves up, dust themselves back off and remind us all of why we're educators. So agency is that kind of what makes hope ebb and flow in our lives. And agency is what makes us hope situational is sometimes my tank is empty and I don't, I've exhausted my energies here and I need to refuel. And the science tells us we refuel through relationships and experiences. So this is what we mean by small wins. You know, when you get a small win, you solve a problem, those things build our agency. Here's what's important. You don't build your agency by sitting on the sideline of your life. And this quiet quitting, this let me just show up and sit on the sidelines, that is not the pathway to get back up the stairs. In fact, it's exacerbating the problem. Because sitting on the sideline of your life does not build your agency. You've got to pick yourself up and go with others and lock arms and walk back up that staircase together as a profession. So, sorry, I'm, I, I don't mean to sound preachy, but it's just <laughs> kind of mine. Uh -huh. Yeah, and it's, it's, I think that's an important piece. And I think it's, you know, we've got to, we've got to take action and we've got to own it and, and get moving to get better. Uh, and get engaged and develop our hope. But let's, that's a good transition to what can we do to build hope in others, in ourselves and in others? Yeah. Well, we know, we know it starts first with ourselves. And I always say that every educator in the room, when you hear this, you have to take a moment and personally reflect because hopeless adults cannot build hope in the children they aspire to serve. Hopeless communities cannot build hopeless or hopeful children. You cannot give what you do not have. And it's like the oxygen mask on the airplane. Um, you mm -hmm. gotta take your own oxygen before you take care of the person seated next to you. It is hands down the best thing you can do. And I always tell people, you gotta, you, you cannot help but hear this first from a very deeply personal place. You're gonna think about your family, your loved ones, the people in your household first, and you should. That's the best mm -hmm. thing to do because that's the first thing we have to do. Um, is reflect on our own levels of hope. So you can't help but hear that and say, ooh, where am I? Do, do I have hope? You know, you, yeah. you can only build hope if you have hope to spare. 
And so when you hear that, you, you reflect on, do I have hope to spare? So that's first is a personal awareness of where, where I am. Uh, being a, aware, this is what the positive field, the field of positive psychology is giving us today is this awareness of brain science and our automatic default of the amygdala. The amygdala's number one job is to keep us safe and to protect us. Not or flight. That's right. right. And and so sometimes that amygdala, it can overfire and that the brain is saying, don't make a move in your life, Jamie, that's going to make your life harder or, or produce your own hurt, right? So it keeps us on the sidelines because um, I don't take action. It, you know, we're not moving along a pathway because I'm just going to sit right here because life's throwing me enough curveballs. I'm not going to participate in that. And sadly, people don't have that self-awareness. So we have to pay attention to that automatic default of our brain scanning for what could hurt me, what could go wrong here. And so that, again, that apathy falling down the staircase, apathy, people can sit in apathy because of trauma. People can sit in apathy because they're tired and exhausted, but being aware of that. So that's first. That's why mm -hmm. this dose of just learning a little bit about hope science can really help us. So I'd say we got to learn about this. We got to learn a little bit more about how our brain works. And, and, and push through that push through that tendency that we're kind of yeah. wired um, to protect yeah. ourselves, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think being aware, like what's going on here, you mm -hmm. know, being aware right. of that. And then you can start to, okay, um, the positive psychologists today would tell us that in that moment when life throws us a curveball, a setback, an uncertainty, a disappointment, is that high hope people realize there is a choice to be made here. I am assessing mm -hmm. the situation and I have a choice. And the choice is to choose a path forward. You know, not to, I can't control the past. That doesn't build my agency. I cannot control that. But I can choose to turn the page and I get to write what tomorrow looks like. I get to choose the path forward. So when we're aware of that, I would say Karen is first. And then secondly, how do we build hope in others is we're really mindful of modeling hope. Um, it's mm -hmm. important. We model problem solving. We um, it's it's OK to be vulnerable and to say, you know, I'm, I'm challenged with this right now and I'm going to um, work with others and I'm going to ask for help with others, you know, especially teachers in the moment helping each other. It was um, or educators in general, administrators. What I love about the power of a network. Right. We've seen that firsthand in our networks through, you know, the National Network of Ed Leader 21. We we observe that personally through a global pandemic of education system leaders. Um, borrowing hope from one another and finding a way forward through collaboration, right? And how are you solving that problem? How are you doing that? And that energizes us. So to go together. Don't be in isolation. Um, you don't build hope that way. you got to go together with others to, to find a way forward in times of uncertainty. So, um, and realizing that, um, you know, interesting, we've talked a lot about contagions, right? And hopelessness can be a contagion. You know, you can, mm -hmm. um, the, the research says that low hope people um, love to hang out together. And the problem with that, and every time I say that, Karen, I get that response in a big room. People laugh because they're like, we, uh -huh. we know it's true. Say more. Yeah, we they know. do, they know it's true. Um, but you, you can watch that. You can watch how people gravitate together. And, and I would say for educators and teachers, um, students, Pay attention to that because the problem with that is that number one, it validates my thinking. It validates that there is there is no 
bright side to this, that everything is just as bad as I suspect it is. But there's no one there to borrow hope from. So it just takes us in that cycle. We have to find yourself some high hope friends, watch who you hang out with, pay attention to your social atom. And this does not mean um, abandon low hope people. But you gotta, you gotta make sure that you're watching the dose of the people you hang out with and be aware of that. And the same for students. When students group and you know, think about project-based learning or putting people in groups, yes. and we can do more to be mindful of how kids gravitate together and mix it up. So give them exposure to high hope thinking and let them borrow hope from others. I think that's really important. And I think it's being honest with kids about, you know, it's you have a goal go this direction and you're going to get there. And that's simple as that, um, that they're going to run into obstacles, right? They're going to run into challenges and, th- but they can figure it out. You know, they can push through uh, and really teaching them the skills and just sometimes the recognition that things are going to, you know, that you sometimes have to take a different path than you originally planned. There's well nothing said, Karen. I want to underscore that. That's worth saying again. And you said it. And I think it's really, I think educators just like you and I, we've, we've, we know this through experience, but we didn't know there was science behind it so much. So right. you know, just like trial and error. Mm-hmm. But when we talk to kids about goals, that's important, but there's a second part that's as important, which is asking them to imagine what could be barriers and obstacles on your pathway. So you want them to anticipate that. And then the third question is, what will you do? when this barrier mm-hmm. obstacle arises, right? So you're planning for what could go wrong. And that's the part that makes hope strategic is it requires strategic thinking to mitigate what could go wrong so that when things do go wrong, we're not caught off guard by it. Like, okay, I've got a plan. And so right. I even say that's what an organizational strategic plan is, right? It's just applying that. I have a strategic plan for my personal life, right? You're applying that because you're thinking about what could go wrong. And if it does, here's my other plan. So when kids have that skill, that serves them so well, because if we don't know what to do, like you said, we freeze in the moment or sadly we quit or we drop out or we stop pursuing the goal because I'm, I'm so surprised by this. So well said. And we see, and we'll sometimes see students in our schools that demonstrate that apathy you talked about. Um, Sometimes, you know, maybe we can think differently about it now that we have some, uh, this construct around the signs of hope and, and maybe it's it's hopelessness we're seeing and not you know not lack of motivation or things like exactly. that that we tend to characterize that way. Yeah. Uh, that's that right there, Karen, and in <clears throat> summarizes what I wish I had known before I started teaching is mm-hmm. that a sense of apathy in the classroom, you see a student come in and they're, you know, we have a lot of labels for that, right? Disengaged. Yes you know, inactive, not motivated, uh, the worst of the labels is lazy. And I think what a tragedy to give your whole career and life's work to the deep pursuit of education and not know that um, or mislabel um, hopelessness as lazy. And Mm -hmm. for me, myself, that took me back like, okay, this changes this. I am totally reframing that in my mind because if I label that as lazy or not motivated, I can say nothing I can do about that. It's just, just how it is. You right. know, I'm, I'm here, I'm showing up. I got a great lesson, but if I can take a step back and say, hmm, maybe this is hopelessness and I've got a whole toolkit of strategies that I can use to help this child 
find their way to a hopeful future. That energizes me. And I think that's where a lot of people get stuck is they just don't know what to do. They want to help. They want to help, but they don't know what to do. And this is why we have to equip educators with understanding the science of hope, because there are strategies we can use to activate and ignite student motivation. That's a really good segue to to Jamie. um, I know you spend a lot of time with school districts all across the country, really helping them think through how do they take this science that that what they've learned around the science of hope and really apply it to things that they're going to they're doing in their systems to really cultivate hope for adults and students alike. So could you give us one or two examples of school districts that are really taking action around this uh, science? You know, it's it's been really inspiring to see in this moment educators across the country. And sometimes it's the superintendent who says, we got to talk about this more and really opens the pathway to um, professional learning and creating time and space for understanding where there is no hope, there will be no learning here. And starting to prioritize and understanding, first of all, we got to take care of our profession. We got to take care of the well-being of our educators and our education leaders, and we have to really help people um, find a hopeful way forward in this profession. So that's one is taking care of the adults so that they can be in their best position to take care of the children. And I see educators doing that. And Karen, you know that is that we're staying very busy at Battelle for Kids in responding to these requests. And I think it's in this moment in time, we're in a pretty unique situation of where we're we're pretty well equipped as an organization to help educators um, in this professional learning. So I applaud school systems who are saying this has to, this has to have a parallel track. So it's not a, a, a prerequisite, I would say, but it's a parallel track of deep professional learning and deeper learning, but also understanding our mindsets and this hope science. So that see educators doing that all over. I love then to go in and see educators like me who are just taking it and running with it. Like, ah, mm-hmm. I got it. And so, you know, if you if you get feedback that when kids know that that teacher cares about their future, that is a powerful lever. When kids know it, um, it's not enough to care about kids' future. Kids have to know you care about their future, right? That's a sweet spot of bridging that gap between my intentions and the student's perception. And when you can bridge that gap, and we've created some tools at Patel for Kids, like the Student Experience Survey that helps the teacher, it illuminates that awareness. Like, of course I care about your future. Does the child believe it? Um, When the student believes it, you can get a whole lot more momentum. Now, you don't need a full day workshop to teach a teacher a strategy about kids need to know you care. They know what to do with that. They know. When you Mm -hmm. can ask teachers about, hey, when kids know you know them, when kids know you know their interests, motivation starts because you're in this with them. You don't need a full day professional learning workshop. Teachers know what they need to do. And so I find that like the low hanging fruit of this work. So many teachers are running with it. Just last night, I would tell you this, I haven't even had a chance to share this with you personally, but a teacher in the Cincinnati, Ohio area reached out and said three years ago, right before the pandemic hit, you came and talked to our staff about hope and I'm doing my dissertation on this. And I thought it was a beautiful thing. I thought, yes, go build hope. And I love that educators are stepping into this space. And um, so there are hope builders among us, right? And so that's an example. There's an example of a system that heard this hopeless people can borrow hope uh, from others. Um, But we have to help our colleagues. 
And so I can have a low hope day. Um, but I need a colleague to notice that and see me in that moment and say, you know what, Jamie, you can borrow some hope from me. So there was a school system who created almost like a business card that had hope on it. And it was really for the adults to physically, tangibly have a way to say, I see you and I'm here for you and I got your back. You can have a hard day, but you can borrow hope from me. And when educators can support one another in that beautiful way, in this common shared goal we have, um, we can prop each other up, dust each other off and help us to go in and do this, this work, this challenging, hard work, meaningful work. Um, but we can be our best selves when we have other adults. So I love that. Um, I, I follow everybody on Twitter once I go in and talk to them or any of we have others at Patel for Kids who do this great work. But I love to be tagged on Twitter and see some great workshops happening. I love the work happening in Virginia Beach City Schools. Um, where we've done some work with all of their principals and all of their administrators. But I love just catching a Saturday workshop where educators are talking about pathways and agency and really asking the question, what pathways um, might be blocked for kids here? And um, mm -hmm. talking to kids about that. So those are good examples. There's a lot more, but um, I think those are some of the things that excite me and build my hope for the future. And, you know, that's, that's I did that my last district, didn't realize how important it was. I just intuitively was doing it. And that really was looking at all the policies and practices and, yeah. and structures in the system that do put up barriers for kids. And you might not even be aware of it unless you step back and really spend some time analyzing it from that lens. I think that's a really important uh, yeah. activity to do as, as one example. Yep. I agree. Stop right here for just a second, Jamie. I'm going to pause yeah. for just a second. EdLeader21 is Patel for Kids' network of innovative school systems committed to the transformation of education, anchored in a renewed vision for student success in the 21st century, Portrait of a Graduate. Patel for Kids is now accepting new memberships into the network for the 2023-2024 school year. Don't miss your chance to join the nation's premier network for education transformation and become connected with hundreds of systems around the country committed to 21st century deeper learning. Learn more about membership at bfk.org slash edleader21. That's bfk.org slash edleader21. So, Jamie, we need to connect some dots here. So people know that Battel for Kids, we, um, our mission as an organization is to advance 21st century deeper learning for all students. And that's usually started with a vision around a portrait of a graduate, uh, which we think is the way to bring the larger community and help them be a meaningful part of setting the direction of a school system. So talk a little bit about the connection between, which we think is really powerful, the connection between the science of hope and the portrait of a graduate and this, you know, education transformation that we're trying to support across the nation. Yeah. It's a, it's a beautiful, purposeful, meaningful fit between these tracks of the science of hope and a portrait of a graduate, because I would submit that a portrait of a graduate is a signal from a community and a school system. Number one, that we care about your future, the extent to which we're thinking about it, and we're planning for it intentionally. And that builds a sense of agency in every child in that community that, you know, this education system and this community um, are really planning for our future. 
not the past, mm-hmm. right? And we can all fall into the default of planning and, and just activating out of habit um, a traditional system of education. And the portrait of a graduate is an important move because it does signal that is the beacon of hope for the future. And to say that we're not just thinking about it, but we're, we're taking action to create a school system that's going to help you thrive in the future. And to me, there's no better way to build hope. If people said, what could a system do? That's the answer. You got to start talking about mm-hmm. the future and future thought. And really that's the portrait. And in our own theory of action here at Battelle for Kids, um, it's not enough just to have a portrait. You know, portrait is the vision that's important, but then you got to have a strategic plan. And in my mind, that's the pathway. That's the pathway mm-hmm. to the desired future state. So the goal, the vision, that um, as we refer to it as the North Star of systems transformation, that's the goal. And the strategic plan is that path forward. And you build the agency through the right kinds of professional learning that is needed throughout that system to ensure that every educator is equipped to deliver on the vision for students. So it lays over very nicely. And then I would say the second thing is there's a lot of great work to be done when you start talking about hope science, and you and I talked about this a lot throughout this podcast, is when you start looking at portrait competencies that school systems and communities have identified as key skills for the future, they're already on to this aha moment that kids need um, critical thinking skills. Kids need creativity. They need problem solving. Those are all the skills you need to create pathways to a better future. And so that's just being intentional and helping people take a minute. And I've done this work in school systems where they put their portrait competencies up around the room as we talk about hope science and they discover it. I mean, I don't need to lead them right there. They find it. They're like, oh, that, we're talking about that. So hope is not one more thing on the plate. Hope is really the, a lot of metaphors here, but the wind behind your sails. Like if you want to activate this, you got to help people understand how to make those moves and fill the agency that we can do this here. This is doable. Big, yes, but it's doable. And hope science and portrait of a graduate go hand in hand. You know, I, I think about uh, portrait of a graduate, particularly as it relates to, to, you know, portrait of a graduate represents that we know that content knowledge is really has been and always will be. Yep. But the research is really clear on this, starting from research that was done in business and industry and, and beyond, saying that it's that's insufficient alone, that you have to also have these other skills that help you really act on that content knowledge or, um, or that specialized skill. You have to have these other skills. And I think that's, you know, the, really the sweet spot where hope really sets. Can you imagine if we had hopeful young people that we graduate every year that knew how to go to college and deal with those things that sometimes are challenges for kids in college or into the workforce um, where sometimes it's so difficult for people to find their footing. If they had strong hope and also these other skills, um, just think about what we could do in terms of our, our society and, and our, you know, really doing what we know is, is best for, for young people. And also, also with our educators, we know we have to cultivate, um, hope. We need more and more educators um, uh, to be a part of this. I think the best profession uh, there is out there. Um, And I think we can all think about educators who had a profound impact on our lives 
And, you know, that's, you know, I was thinking last night around, you know, I had such a great experience as a, a young person, had great teachers. I had hopeful um, yeah. people too. in my life. You know, that's what we should aspire for every child, right? A, a great educational experience and a hopeful uh, future uh, for themselves and others. So tell, tell our audience, our last uh, question here is just how, if someone wanted to, was really inspired by this and wanted to learn more, where could you point them to? You mentioned a couple of books, uh, anything else or other books you want to recommend or want to restate those? Yeah, um, I'd say a couple of things. One is um, we referenced it earlier in the podcast, but one is um, people always ask us, how, how do we know this is making a difference? How do we know is there impact here? And so we at Battelle for Kids um, have developed an instrument of, it's a student survey, but it's, it doesn't collect individual student data as much as it, it gives us insight as educators about how kids are experiencing learning and the degree to which students feel we are intentionally cultivating hope, belonging, emotional engagement, and a 21st century learning. And that tool called the Student Experience 21 is um, really intended to be not a hard measure but really um, illuminating some insights for educators to start to figure out what works here. So we can learn all these strategies and hope and let's go apply some of those in the classroom and then measure how kids feel about that. How, how is it changing how kids experience learning when we do this? So the Student Experience 21, you can learn more about that on, on Battelle for Kids website. We'll put some of those in our show notes for the podcast. That'd be one is just to start to run your own local um, kind of your own information to cause and effect, try and measure, try and measure and see what's working. Um, as far as and Jamie, uh, ahead, Jamie, if I could say something on that too, that, that um, survey has been, was initially developed in partnership with Gallup. Um, yes. And then over time we've, we've uh, modified it some based upon yeah. experience we've had in the field that we most recently, again, had it uh, studied by Johns Hopkins University yes. and, and found that all the items were uh, strongly, you know, they strongly validated our items yes. were really strong. Yeah. Um, so I wanted you to speak to that just a little bit. Yeah, good good point, Karen. Um, this started off as an adaptation of the Gallup student poll. Many people are familiar with that. Great instrument. I had used it myself. Um, the research question um, that Patel for Kids wanted to get into was, how do you take this broad measure of hope and really um, create an instrument that is insightful to a teacher around the learning environment that I'm responsible for co-creating? Um, and so how do kids experience learning when they learn side by side with other peers and with my uh, presence or co-teaching with other teachers in a particular learning environment? We wanted to kind of get it a little more disaggregated. And so Gallup was a, a wonderful partner in guidance. It was different because it was really an instrument for the, the unique learning environment. Um, and over the years, as, as you said, we've adapted it and um, kind of gone our own way on that with some of the items that we produced through our own research. During the global pandemic, we did uh, step into the space. Johns Hopkins was a wonderful research partner um, helping us to validate the instrument. We had some questions and we wanted to revise some, some items on the survey. So um, yeah, time and time again, what's really powerful, and um, this is probably a, for another time, is that consistently in both of our research studies, 
Um, and we've had more than 35,000 students' um, voices elevated in this study, is we see the deep reciprocity between hope, belonging, and emotional engagement. So when um, we cultivate hope, we also cultivate a sense of belonging. This teacher cares about my future, and that translates to um, I'm cared for, right? And that belonging sense of cared for, valued, accepted, I, I fit in here, I belong here. And then emotional engagement being that relationships, you know, even that one-to-one -one individual relationship, this teacher knows my interests. And so um, that's, that's the space people are really trying to work in today is what are these connections? And so we've it's been a real honor and privilege, and we continue to listen to student or student and teacher voice about ways in which we can improve the resources and the um, instrument itself. So it's been a real collaborative development with educators on that. So that's the student experience 21. Um, I would also say, and I, we have mentioned them, and we'll put these in the notes of the podcast as well, but um, C.R. Snyder's work, you can Google that and find wonderful, wonderful articles of people who are taking that and carrying his work forward. The new generation of hope science uh, scientists, um, Shane Lopez's work, Making Hope Happen, um, Casey Gwynn, Chan Hellman's work of Hope Rising. Um, Thomas Sulo is doing some great work in really kind of coining the phrase that of learned hopefulness. And he's really underscoring that we can learn hopefulness in our, um, I find that really compelling work. And that's, that's new. A lot of that's been written during the global pandemic. So those would be my recommendations of books you could go to um, uh, just right off the shelf if you want to deepen your learning in the space. Thank you, Jamie. Uh, we could talk for hours about this, yep. this subject matter, and um, I hope it's inspired our listeners to learn more about uh, the importance of really being intentional around uh, cultivating hope for adults and children alike. Um, if you want to learn more, you can go to BattelleForKids.org, and we have more information on there. I just am so grateful to have Jamie on our team at Battelle for Kids. She's such an asset. Um, and I know districts across the country just really value and appreciate your support as they think about uh, actions they're taking to cultivate hope throughout their system. So thank you, Jamie, for your leadership in this important area. We Yours as well, Karen. Thank you. Pleasure. Jamie Mead serves as Vice President and Chief of Staff for Battelle for Kids. She leads the execution of the organization's strategic plan to fulfill its mission of collaborating with educators and local communities to inspire passion and purpose for lifelong learning in every student. She has spent her entire career in education. She was a high school English, French, and speech teacher, an elementary and high school administrator, and director of curriculum and assessment. Check out the show notes to find many of the resources on hope she mentioned in today's podcast. The EdSpark podcast with Dr. Karen Garza is a production of Battelle for Kids. Visit bfk.org to learn more about how we are helping to transform education systems nationwide. That's bfk.org.